Hello, and you're very welcome to another edition of The Others, the Alan Kinslet podcast, where I look at small parties, groups and independents that have contested Irish elections over the years. This week is the turn of the Socialist Party of Ireland. Set up in 1971, they ran until 1982, when they merged with the Limerick Socialist Organisation and parts of Biko to form the Democratic Socialist Party. Thanks for all, everybody who's subscribed to the podcast and everything. And uh, please do, if, if you haven't, and tell your friends about it. And the Patreon to support the podcast is patreon.com forward slash election lit. And thanks to everybody who's done that. If you want to contact me, I'm at irishelectionliterature at gmail.com. irishelectionliterature.com is the website. Election lit on Twitter and Irish Political Ephemera on Facebook. And if you want, maybe as, as we're opening uh, a bit, if you ever want an exhibition or indeed um, an online Zoom chat on, on uh, some political ephemera related material, uh, do give us a shout. Thank you. Founded in January 1971, the Socialist Party of Ireland was a left-wing group uh, made up of mostly ex-members of official Sinn Féin who had left the party. Um, many had been involved in the Dublin Housing Action Campaign. They were very pro-Soviet and Eastern Bloc, um, embraced the Two Nations theory in the North, and were mostly active around Ballymun and Tala. They were founder members of the Socialists Against Nationalists organisation, and eventually merged with the Democratic Socialist, merged with Biko and the Limerick Socialist Organization to form, to form the Democratic Socialist Party in 1982. There's a piece in the Lost Revolution um, about them. Internal unease at the perceived primacy of nationalist politics over social agitation resulted in several Dublin activists resigning from Sinn Féin in the aftermath of the 1971 Ardèche. Amongst those who left to set up the Socialist Party of Ireland were former leading figures in the Dublin Housing Action Committee. Most were also official IRA members who had already left following disputes over the movement's political direction that surrounded the 1970 IRA General Army Convention. In order to help fund the new party, SPI supporters robbed £1,000 from a post office in Ballymun. Despite some allegations of intimidation, relations between SPI members and their former comrades remained relatively good, with several rejoining Sinn Féin within a few months. The new group would eventually adopt a view on the national question strongly influenced by the British and Irish Communist Organisation's Two Nations theory. It was openly pro-Soviet and unashamedly adopted communist iconography, but outside of Ballymun, where it campaigned consistently on local issues, the SPI failed to make a discernible impact and never numbered more than a few dozen activists. This is from um, uh, one of their papers, The Vanguard, and from October 1971, and the Socialist Party explained... The Socialist Party of Ireland was formed in January of this year by a group of Dublin working people frustrated by the inability and in many cases unwillingness of existing so-called socialist organisations to seriously undertake the long and difficult task of organising and leading the working class. The incorruptible 
inheritors of the struggle for the reconquest of Ireland. The main issue facing the Irish people today is British imperial domination of the whole country, indirectly in the south and directly in the north. As a result of this domination, there are over 100,000 people unemployed in the 32 counties, approximately 7% of the whole working population. And this figure is being added to almost daily by closures and redundancies. The disastrous attempt to drag the country into the EEC Exploiters Club, despite the rising tide of opposition, would, if it were successful, drastically worsen the situation, leading to even more unemployment and emigration and more anti-union and anti-worker laws. The time has come to declare the alternative to the destruction of the Irish nation. And despite what the reformers and improvers of capitalism have said, there is only one alternative, socialism. Much has been said and written about socialism by all kinds of people over the last few years, and yet very little has been done to put any of the thinking or talking into effect in the only way that counts, building the organisation that will organise, educate and lead the working people in the struggle for socialism. At the same time, no one seems to be able to agree on what exactly socialism is. Many have forgotten or never known the meaning of the term, which is the public ownership of the means of producing and distributing wealth. In a state in which democracy applies in economic as well as political life under the leadership of the working class. In this struggle, the Socialist Party of Ireland regards as its main tasks participating in the day-to-day -day economic and political struggles of the working people, leading the working people to an awareness of their real political position and of the need for them to take state power in order to abolish capitalism and establish workers' control of the economy. The strengthening of the alliance between the working class and the mass of small, the small farmers and other sections of the people oppressed by capitalism. Cooperating with other groups for the achievement of national independence. Encouraging solidarity between the Irish working class and the working class of other countries. On policy, our stand is clear and unequivocal. The complete abolition of what James Connolly described as the most foreign thing in Ireland, capitalism, and the building of socialism in a free Ireland. This first issue of their paper, The Vanguard, or Vanguard, also had a piece on McQuaid's interference in state affairs. There are many Roman Catholic clerics in Ireland who act as if they were superior to the Roman pontiff himself, but none behave as arrogantly or as brazenly as John Charles McQuaid, Archbishop of Dublin. Dr McQuaid's pastoral letter on the controversial subject of contraception was a scarcely veiled ultimatum to Doyle deputies and senators, warning them off any change in legal position regarding the availability of contraceptives. Dr. McQuaid may be within his authority in issuing an edict to members of his own church who will ultimately judge the correctness or otherwise of his actions as it affects them. But when the Archbishop attempts to extend to citizens not members of the Roman Catholic Church an authority which they do not recognise and publicly reject, it is time for all supporters of democratic methods of government to call a halt to such actions. Dr. McQuaid's concept of an objective moral law existing outside and above human society is not acceptable to many people in Ireland and hundreds of millions of people outside this country. 
Declarations by one Arch- Irish Archbishop do not change this world reality. The Archbishop's letter involves not only the arguments for and against the availability of contraceptives, but also the question of who rules the 26th county state, Church or Doyle. Government ministers and many TDs have been at pains in recent years to deny allegations from six county politicians that the Roman Catholic Church exercised an inordinate amount of influence on government policy in the 26 counties. If they have to bow to the Archbishop's crozier in public and repeat the sorry spectacle of the 1951 sellout of Noel Brown's mother and child scheme, how can they justify their claims that freedom of conscience exists in the 26 counties? The Pope, more conscious of the world as it exists than Dr. McQuaid, recently received President Tito of Yugoslavia in the Vatican. In his address of welcome, he said, For itself, the Church only asks the legitimate freedom of carrying out its spiritual ministry and of offering its loyal services to man, without any personal interest foreign to its religious and moral mission. Awareness of this, of the nature, and at the same time of the limits of this mission is a guarantee against every fear of undue interference of the church in the field of the sovereign and legitimate competence of the state. The editorial of the first issue of Vanguard. Threat to jobs. Trade unionists should be aware of the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael attempt to sell us a pig in the poke. The common market. Pro-EEC spokesmen have been making wild promises of prosperity for all if we join the common market, but the facts of life in the EEC countries today prove otherwise. The Brussels Commission, not an elected body, operates what is called an approximation policy, which means that trade union policy is bought to the lowest common denominator existing in the EEC and then implemented in all the member states. This means that if we joined, our trade unions would be bought down to the level of those of West Germany, for instance, which are little better than house associations under the thumb of the employers. Joining the EEC would mean opening up the Irish market to a flood of imported goods from all the big countries of Western Europe. Irish industry with its small-scale production could not hope to compete with the EEC monopolies. We already have the bitter lesson of free trade with Britain and the continuing factory closures which have resulted from this. EEC free trade would be 10 times more destructive. Massive unemployment and emigration would certainly be the result. The EEC monopolies use migrant workers from southern Italy and outside the EEC, Spain, Yugoslavia, Morocco, Algeria, Greece, to force down wages in the industrialised areas. Migrant workers are badly treated and kept in ghetto areas. The West German government allows agents of the Greek fascist regime to operate offices in the country and terrorise Greek workers to prevent them from joining trade unions or complaining about bad conditions. Demand that our unions take a militant stand against redundancies, unemployment and the common market sellout. Demand that the government present the full facts on the implication of EEC membership to the people. Demand a statement of attitude on the EEC free trade and redundancies from TDs and councillors. There's also a small bit on uh, left unity. The slogan unity of the left is often on the lips of members of working class political organisations, but will it ever be translated into reality? From the viewpoint of the Socialist Party, this is a long-term possibility, but there are long and difficult intermediate stages in this development. First of all, we can ask, why is the left disunited? 
various reasons come to mind. Sectional divisions in the working population, for example, skilled and unskilled labour, union and non-union labour, lack of class consciousness amongst workers, the influence of bourgeoisie ideas and propaganda on the people. Particularly in the labour and social democratic parties, the complex problem of the national question and workers' attitudes to it. All these are factors which have helped produce the present political divisions on the left. Despite these obstacles, however, working class organisations with different policies and tactics can engage in short-term cooperation on specific issues, such as housing and the opposition to the common market and repressive legislation. Some members... Some measure of success has been achieved in these fields, the most spectacular being the Dublin Housing Action Committee in 1968 and 1969. These activities are themselves a help towards eventual unity as they raise the level of political consciousness of those taking part. More formal attempts at unity are, at this stage, premature, mainly because of the low level of organisation of the groups expected to participate. Until these groups are functioning properly as organisations, they can hardly function properly in a united front. This failing, which is widespread, sticks out like a sore thumb in all the joint activities and ad hoc committees of the left. In some cases, the problem is just ignorance of the basic principles of organisation. In others, just plain laziness. But it must be eliminated before we can make progress. Those who refuse to tackle this problem are not serious revolutionaries. Policy and tactical differences will be more difficult to overcome, but unity in action should at least create a better climate for, of understanding among those genuinely working for socialist revolution. Just from one of its own publications, workers must organise politically to achieve their rights. Many people are dissatisfied with the present political and economic setup in Ireland. High prices, low wages and unemployment ensure that the heaviest burdens fall on the majority of the population, the working people. In contrast, a small minority enjoy ownership of 75% of the wealth of Ireland and live at a level of luxury never reached by the workers, whose labour produces everything of value. This system of exploitation, capitalism to give it its scientific title, is not permanent. It can and will be changed. One of the ways of bringing about change is for the exploited people to organise politically to remove the exploiters. This is the reason for the existence of the Socialist Party of Ireland. What to do? You can share in the work of transforming society by becoming a member of the Socialist Party of Ireland. All applications will be acknowledged and details of procedures given by return post. These include a political education programme designed to give an understanding of the relationship of classes in society and how socialism will be established in Ireland. The policy and main objective of the party is to establish in Ireland a socialist form of society, the economic basis of which will be public ownership of the means of production, distribution and exchange following the abolition of capitalist ownership. For the 1973 presidential election, the Socialist Party of Ireland renewed its call for a boycott of the presidential election and said in a statement that the presidency have no, has no significance and should be abolished. It made a call for its supporters to stay at home. Support for one of the candidates by the so-called Labour Party is the ultimate degradation on the part of the party which once claimed to be the party of the Irish working class.
So they wanted to, people to boycott the presidential election. Get an idea, the, the party came into the press in 1973. Meanwhile, a row over corporation plans to house priests in Ballymun and other city estates broke out yesterday with angry demands from the local branch of the Socialist Party of Ireland that the scheme should be axed. Ballybun branch secretary Mr Norman McGrath suggested today that the Corporation Housing Committee should rescind its decision. Has the housing committees forgotten that a housing list exists? Mr McGrath asked. He said that the, this list was supposedly drawn up to give them priority to the needs of working class families, not their spiritual needs, but their needs to have a place to live. Mr McGrath went on, what are the priests who made application to Dublin Corporation going to say to the young families who share their, their parents' home because the corporation won't house them, the reason given being that they have not produced enough children. Are they going to say, our need is greater than yours? When the same families provide through planned giving and weekly collections, semi-detached houses of above average standard to the clergy all over the city, McGrath said. Now, it mentions Ballymun there, and they were particularly, the party were particularly strong in both Ballymun and also in Dublin South West around Talla as well. They had stalls outside the, the shopping centre, I think it was the shopping centre, in uh, Ballymun and were very visible on the ground there. Now the party had a very distinctive uh, anti-republican or anti-nationalist um, vein. And so for instance in the 1974 ceasefire in the north, the, the Socialist Party of Ireland in a statement last night on the ceasefire said the government had a clear duty to initiate, initiate political moves with the intention of ending any misguided support there might be for the mindless violence of the provisionals. It said that during the ceasefire a decision must be taken by the government to recommend the deletion of Articles 2 and 3 from the Constitution and to hold a referendum on the matter. Indeed, later on, a couple of years later, on a St. Patrick's Day, uh, four members of the party were arrested for putting up posters on the parade route demanding that Articles 2 and 3 of the Constitution uh, be removed. And of course, they later of course, became part of the, the Socialists Against Nationalism group and so on. During this period, the party also... Um, looked to register as a political party um, and the register of political parties and um, the registration was rejected um, it appealed and it was rejected again. The Electoral Appeal Board at Leinster House today rejected an application by the Socialist Party of Ireland for the inclusion on the register of political parties. Registration had already been refused by the Registrar, Mr Healy, Clerk of the Dáil. Mr Seamus Rattigan, General Secretary, told the Appeal Board, Mr Justice Park, Chairman, Mr Sean Tracy, Chairman of the Dáil, Senator James Doog, Chairman of the Senate, that they were in existence since 1971 and intended to contest the next general election, that being turned out the 1977 general election. They were a disciplined and scientific socialist working class party based on the urban based on the urban areas. They were particularly strong in Dublin, but were not essentially a Dublin-based organisation. 
for strategic, strategic political reasons, their constitution prevented them from giving detailed information about their membership and strength in any particular area. He could not give that information to the appeal board, even in confidence. Only their national congress, which would be held at the end of the year, could change that rule. Mr Justice Park said, you are making it difficult for us to come to a conclusion whether you have only six members or 6,000. The judge said the appeal board's reasons for refusing the party's appeal would be given in a written judgment later. He told Mr Rattigan that the board's decision was not a bar to a further application for registration. So as it happens, they never um, registered as a party. So all their candidates are listed as independents. And in, that, in the forthcoming 1977 general election, they also announced that their candidate would be Eamon O'Brien running in the Dublin County North uh, constituency. The party were very pro-Soviet. And just read a, a piece. And they were constantly writing letters in the papers. I'll give you a letter in a minute. But this is, how, this is from their own publication called Advance. Soviet trawler. The recent arrest of a large Soviet fisheries vessel by the Irish Naval Service and the subsequent court case which alleged that the Soviet fishermen had encroached on the Irish 12-mile limit, 12 limit unleashed a, a disreputable campaign of anti-Soviet slanders and propagandas in the newspapers here. Under crude propaganda terms, reminiscent of the worst Cold War hack journalism, the Irish Independent in particular tried to whip up hostile feelings against the Soviet Union and its fishermen. This is not unusual for the Irish Independent, which has a consistent editorial policy of slandering the Soviet Union at every opportunity, using whatever syndicated fabrications are available from the professional anti-Soviet hate mongers in the USA and Britain. The truth is, and most Irish fishermen know it, that the USSR fleet is no threat to Irish fisheries. The Soviet Union respects the territorial seas of every country and further supports the demand for a 200-mile territorial sea within the 50-mile exclusion zone, which is being sought by Ireland in the current EEC talks. But until such limits become legally established, the Soviet fleet is quite entitled to fish the high seas right up to the present limits. The real danger to Irish fisheries, and again most Irish fishermen know this, comes from the French, Belgian, West German and British boats, our so-called partners in the EEC, who are regularly poaching off our coasts, seemingly unnoticed by the Irish Independent. It should also be said that it is quite open for, to the Irish government to negotiate a fisheries agreement with the Soviet Union and other socialist countries, which would allow for the sharing of catches and use of advanced equipment of the socialist fishing, fishing fleets by Irish fisher, fishermen. The socialist countries have already expressed willingness to do this and in addition to pay for establishing processing units onshore in Ireland. If mutual agreement was reached, this kind of development would bring much more prosperity and security to the Irish fishing industry than the crumbs at present being offered by the EEC moguls in Brussels. This particular letter, why Soviets do not have opposition. This was to the, the uh, Irish Independent in 1975. 
why Soviets do not have opposition. Sir, your editorial of June the 17th, which described the elections to the Supreme Soviet of the USSR as a farce, is based on complete falsification of the content and methods of operation uh, and oper of operation of the Soviet political system. The reality of the USSR, with public ownership of an economy and the absence of an antagonistic classes, means that elections in that country have a character entirely different from elections in Ireland or other capitalist countries. Your critic omits to mention this difference in social and economic organisation between the USSR and Western capitalistic countries with which he is presumably making a comparison. Your writer in attacking the function of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union implies that only the CPSU nomination nominates candidates at election time. This is a deliberate misrepresentation. The right to nominate candidates is guaranteed to mass organisations and societies of working people. The CPSU, trade unions, cooperatives, youth organisations and cultural societies by Article 141 of the USSR Constitution. Why does your writer fail to tell your readers of the number of non-party candidates nominated and elected to the Supreme Soviet? In the outgoing 8th convocation, 421 of the 1,517 deputies were non-members of the Communist Party. Your critic suggests the Soviet political system is in need of a competing list of candidates to make it fit, make it fit his ideal of democracy. He does not explain to your readers how this could be an advantage to the Soviet people. What interests would these competing lists present, represent? What interests other than those of the working population needs to be represented in Soviet political life? We feel, however, that your writer will be unable to reply to these questions as we, as we believe that your newspaper is not interested in honest reporting of the reality of the USSR or any other socialist country. We might add that your writer's slander is second-hand and rather threadbare. We have heard it all before from the professional anti-communists of the USA and Britain. Have you nothing better than this to offer your readers? Seamus Erratic and General Secretary, Socialist Party of Ireland. So the Irish Independent was printing lies about Soviet elections and so on. There, there's a whole tranche of, of uh, correspondence to the papers about the glory of the, or about the Soviet Union that's, that, that, that is well worth looking up from the Socialist Party of Ireland. The next campaign the party seemed to be involved in was uh, Ballymun's Stray Dogs, A Danger to Children. The Ballymun branch of the Socialist Party of Ireland is worried about the number of stray dogs being allowed roam freely in the area. They are also perturbed about the presence there of old abandoned cars. The secretary of the branch, Mr Norman McGrath, points out that the dogs roaming in packs are definite danger to children and old people in the area. The dogs are taken in by tenants as young pups and in many cases when they grow too big to handle they are left to fend for themselves in the streets. Similarly, with the discarded motor cars and vans, the danger to children of broken glass, rotten, jagged metal, and the chances of being burnt to death is something no responsible authority should allow to exist, a statement warned. The 1977 general election approached, and having selected Eamon O'Brien as the party's candidate, he made a statement calling for uh, polling day, June the 16th, 
to be a holiday for workers, so to create a favourable climate for a high pole. And a profile um, of O'Brien from, I think, the Drogheda Independent or from one of the papers with regard to the constituency. Eamon O'Brien, a Ballymun member of the Socialist Party of Ireland, is the only minority candidate before the electorate in North County Dublin. The party says its socialist programme provides a basis for the most progressive ideas of humanity from which the people of Ireland can move forward to a future of assured prosperity and security. Ireland's geographical position, small size and population do not prevent our country from embarking on this road, it adds. In that 1977 election, Eamon O'Brien polled 2,189 votes, just over 6% of the vote. Pretty good performance um, in Dublin County North for a candidate, well, for a far-left candidate in his first election. And it was certainly, it was two, 2,189 votes was something for the party to build on. The party then, um, in 1978, changed its name at its third Congress, that the name of our party was changed from the Socialist Party of Ireland to the Socialist Party. This change was in keeping with the constant development of our policies on Northern Ireland and in recognition of the existence of two separate states on this island with different social, economic and political conditions existing in each. Signed by Eamon O'Farrell. So I think that, part, that alludes to the two states theory. The rumblings, uh, just before that, there was rumblings about the setting up of the Socialist Labour Party. An attack on the new grouping came last night from the Socialist Party of Ireland, who said they were committed to working in the interests of the working class and claimed a new party would split the left even further. Enough left-wing parties were in existence, they said, to cater for the tastes and needs of any socialists intent on leaving the Labour Party and remain active politically. The setting up of a new party of the left at this time cannot be justified and will only serve the interests of the bourgeoisie, as is evident by the amount of free publicity given to their meetings, said a statement. It will only serve to attract people into a cul-de-sac of pseudo-socialism and slow down the dialectical development of the working class movement. So that was their critique of what became the Socialist Labour Party. The 1979 local elections appeared and the party fielded two candidates. Eamon O'Brien was running in the Malahide Ward uh, for Dublin City Council or Dublin County Council. Um, again, he polled over 6%, 6.9% polling 841 votes and missed out on a seat. In area number three, uh, for Dublin City Council, Eamon O'Farrell ran and polled 230 votes, um, just 1.2% of the vote. So the party didn't win any seats in the 1979 local elections. In 1978, they had uh, been part of a joint socialist campaign against nationalism by the Socialist Party, BICO, and the Limerick Socialist Organisation. It was known as Socialists Against Nationalism. Uh, it was a focus on the political left for all those who want to see nationalism ousted from the labour movement and class politics, which expresses the real interests of workers given precedence. 
the objectives of the campaign organising public support for the recognition of the constitutional position of Northern Ireland and abolition of Articles 2 and 3 from the Republic's Constitution leave no room for ambiguity. It will be interesting to see how many calling themselves socialists can take courage and break with bourgeoisie nationalism once and for all. So this socialist against national had a couple of uh, wrote a couple of pamphlets, um, including H Block and Sectarian Civil War. They were the fact you would Biko, the Socialist Party of Ireland, and the Limerick Socialist Organisation together uh, was a portent for for um, the founding of the Democratic Socialist Party. Naturally, the hunger strike in 1981 led the party to uh, uh, call. It called on the leadership of the Republican movement and the hunger strike. The party said that any deaths in the prison could only lead to further division of the northern communities. In the 1981 general election, uh, the party fielded two candidates, Eamon Farrell in Dublin North East and Dennis O'Connor in Dublin South. O'Connor polled 335 votes, whilst um, Farrell polled 236. So, really, having gone from two of over 2,000 votes in uh, 1977, um, to this wasn't uh, wasn't great. The party later on, um, I think it was late 1981, or could have been early 82. The party joined uh, the new Democratic Socialist Party, became part of it with uh, the Limerick Socialist Organisation and BICO, um, or certainly elements of BICO. And that was the end of the Socialist Party of Ireland. Thanks very much for listening. Um, thanks to everybody who's subscribed to the podcast. If you haven't, please do. Uh, thanks too to everybody who's subscribed to the Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash electionnet and any help, any uh, support would be great. Thank you.